Christmas card came a week or so before Christmas. I recognized the return address and last name. The envelope was addressed only to Major General William Enyart. Not the usual address with both my name and my wife Annette's. A typical holiday greeting card in this day of internet ordering. Front of the card, a photo of two boys, six years old or so. Short-haired, toe-headed, dressed alike, as twins so frequently are. Their Scots-Irish-English ancestry that's so common across the swath of Middle America that Southern Illinois lies in, clear in their faces. One just a little shorter, with an open-faced smile. The other, more reserved, closed. Clearly the apples of their family's eyes. A simple Merry Christmas below the photo. No names, no other salutation. Flip the card over. Three other photos of the same two boys. Same outfits, different poses. No family groupings. No mom, nor dad, nor grandparents. Not even a puppy. Just the two boys. No signature. No handwritten wishes for a Merry Christmas nor happy holidays. Just the double-sided card with photos of two all-American boys. I haven't seen those boys since they were toddlers, although I've watched them grow through their mom's Facebook postings. The card sits now in the three-ring binder that holds the scripts of these podcasts. It didn't go into the recycling bin with the rest of the Christmas cards. Some cards you just don't throw away. Their mom is remarried. Her new husband looks like a good man, a kind man. He looks like he'll throw balls with them, teach them to slide into first base and take them to church every week in their tiny Southern Illinois town. I've never met him. I probably never will. I've met their mom on a couple of occasions. It was their dad whom I knew. He too was a good man. He was one of the thousands of men and women that I sent off to war. He came home from war. He came home not with the bloody wounds that earn a purple heart, the combat medal that signifies a combat wound, but rather hidden wounds. He served four combat tours, twice in Iraq, twice in Afghanistan. I signed the orders sent in the fourth time. That Army Staff Sergeant was a rock. His commander in Afghanistan, Colonel Fred Allen, a rock of a man himself, a farmer, a helicopter pilot, my chief of staff, told me at the funeral that that NCO was a rock, a soldier who could always be relied upon, a soldier who never quit, a soldier you wanted on your right flank. He was quiet. He didn't say much. I never saw him get angry. And God knows there were lots of times in the five months that we worked side by side after he came home from war that last time that people got angry, and rightfully so. Yet he never did. He was a rock. I never heard him swear. He was a rock. I never saw him take a drink. He was a rock. I don't know what he saw in those four combat deployments. We never talked about it. We'd moved on. We were fighting another campaign, and he didn't talk much anyway. 
That soldier had 19 years in the Army and the Army National Guard. One more year for that golden 20 years. The 20 years that means a pension and health care for life. He didn't make it. He died in his pickup truck, empty whiskey bottle by his side. He couldn't control his demons, they told me. His twin boys will know his name, but little else, other than the visions from dating photographs and stories their mother and grandparents will tell them. He died at the age of 41. I didn't cry at my mother's funeral. I didn't cry at my father's funeral. I didn't cry at my only brother's funeral. I cried at that funeral. I cried as I wrote this. It's not a pretty sight to see an old general cry. It's not a pretty sight to see old veterans cry when they talk about the friends they lost. But I understand why they do. Even God cried as we walked away from that grave. For as the sun shone on that hillside surrounded by cornfields, the cool summer rain began to fall. I couldn't talk to the soldiers at that funeral. I could only grip their arms and squeeze. I couldn't talk to the young mother of his sons as she stood in front of his casket. I could only whisper. As a mourner, I was supposed to be consoling her. But it was she who consoled me. I whispered, I let him down. She said, no, we all tried. We couldn't save him from his demons. That word again, demons. Four combat deployments will do that. They will plant demons. I don't know how to fight demons. I know many who've tried. Tried with drink, with drugs, with 2 a.m., 100-mile-an-hour motorcycle rides full of drugs and drink. I've buried too many of those. We've buried too many of those young and old soldiers. These are the weary words of an old general who signed the orders sending young men and women to a place where, like hell, demons lurk. Some do not return. Some return with demons. We cannot blame the VA for not saving them. We cannot blame the government for not saving them. We can only blame ourselves for sending them and then failing them. You, too, will make decisions that will impact others' lives. You may not send people to war, but you will make decisions that try men's souls. You, too, will grieve those adverse impacts that your decisions will have on people's lives. Make those decisions as honestly as you can. Make those decisions with the best information you have. Make those decisions in such a manner that years from now, you can tell yourself at 3 a.m., I did the best I could. I do not regret sending James to war. I do regret not fighting more for him once he came home. I regret not seeing the demons that plagued him. I regret not standing with him in his fight with those demons. As President Lincoln said in his second inaugural address, it is our duty to care for him who shall have borne the battle. I failed in that duty. Know that with power comes responsibility. Exercise that power so that when you are judged, here or in the hereafter, 
you will not be found wanting. Mm-hmm.